Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Golfing Society podcast. I have a great pleasure this morning at being in the company of Nigel Thornton. Nigel is living with a Parkinson's diagnosis, but apart from that, I want to start by saying Nigel is one of the best ambassadors any organization could ever wish to have for the work that they're doing. We first met uh, Nigel and I some some years ago at one of our, at our first ever golf venue, really, which was uh, in Lincoln. And Nigel was quite taken by a project and decided that he'd like to step up and help out. So since we first met, we've had a, a great friendship. We've done some amazing things together. And it's my pleasure to have Nigel in conversation this morning so he can share his experiences with you living with Parkinson's and the importance of sport for, for Nigel and people living with similar conditions later in life. So without further ado, Nigel, welcome. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Um, just recovering from um, brain surgery about three months ago, but uh, doing very well, thanks. Well, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll come back to that in terms of that particular bit of surgery that you had and the, the difference it's going to make to to your life going forward. But I'd like to start, Nigel, because the the audience may have some understanding of Parkinson's disease, but possibly not as much as as we would like the audience and general society to have in terms of what it's like to be living with Parkinson's and a little bit more about the condition itself. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of an insight into what life is like living with Parkinson's disease, Nigel? Yes, of course. Um, I think fundamentally um, Parkinson's is misunderstood by a lot of people, uh, which is understandable. Um, it's a very challenging condition. Um, it's a degenerative brain disease, which um, gets worse over time. Um, and what a lot of people don't know about Parkinson's is that um, there's something like 40 different symptoms. Uh, it's a very individual disease uh, and it affects people on a very individual basis. So whereas some people might have um, symptoms around movement and stiffness, uh, other people might have symptoms around shaking or tremor. Uh, other people might have no tremor at all. Uh, I've had any tremors, uh, rarely happen at, at, at all, for example. Uh, but um, basically, if you've got 40 different symptoms, that's a heck of a lot. And a lot of these symptoms aren't just about um, movement, which is uh, what could, traditionally people think about Parkinson's, that it affects your movement uh, and it makes you very stiff and rigid. Uh, a lot of the symptoms affect your. Um, um, your mental health, for example, yeah, affect your sleep, affect your um, affect all, all areas of your life. Um, a lot of people with Parkinson's get depression. Um, so it's a very challenging disease. It's a very difficult disease. It's not easy, um, but you can still have a good quality of life with Parkinson's disease. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing, really, the biggest difficulty is the unpredictability of it. Um, you know, one moment or one hour, you might be feeling pretty okay. You're taking your medication. You know, your medication is allowing you to move reasonably freely, uh, and then 
your medication wears off and suddenly you, you have a big drop and you, you know you're feeling really lousy and, and stiff and and then doing doing you know basically simple things like uh, walking drinking a cup of tea become really really difficult going up the stairs so uh, and obviously the unpredictability affects your social life you lose confidence you you, you worry about going out and if you're going if you're going out how you're going to feel so that's probably the, the, the most difficult thing about Parkinson's is the unpredictability. But what I think of people is there's three things that I recommend. One, uh, get your medication right. Um, it's really, really important to um, get your medication at the right time, to have the right medication, uh, to have a good consultant, not to be under-medicated. Secondly, exercise. Exercise is really, really important for people with Parkinson's. Uh, any sort of exercise, really. Golf, obviously, obviously I mean, I've heard of the golf. Uh, but walking, uh, table tennis, I do table tennis, that, that, that really helps. Uh, but just any exercise gets the blood pumping, gets you moving, uh, makes you feel better. Um, so that's the second thing. And the third thing is just try and stay positive. Uh, once you get into a negative um, state of mind, it's a very downward spiral. So. You, you, despite all the difficulties, stay positive and get out of the house and, and try and do things. Uh, if you do all those three things, then you can sort of have a good quality of life with Parkinson's disease, but it's, but it's not easy. That's a fascinating insight, and thanks for those three tips at the end there for the audience. I'd just like to ask you a couple of questions, Nigel. When, we, when were you first diagnosed with Parkinson's? Uh, 2000 and... Um, well, I think it was about uh, eleven years ago. I was first diagnosed. I mean, uh, it's interesting. I was I was in Venice on holiday, um, and my daughters turned around and said to me, "Dad, why why are you swinging your arm when you walk?" And I was totally unaware that I wasn't swinging my my right arm when I walked. Um, and she made me aware of this. So when I got home, uh, I did the the fateful Google. Search and it came up with uh, non-swinging right arm. My, hand, my handwriting was also made it smaller, uh, and put the two and two together: small handwriting and non-swinging right arm, and it and it uh, came up with Parkinson's. Uh, so that was when I was first diagnosed, uh, but uh, 2012. 2012, and the first, you... the, first, the first few years were, were generally fine, but uh, after about five or six years, it, it said that I started to. Slowly get get worse. Our condition starts to worsen. And you mentioned when we were first chatting, Nigel, that you recently under underwent some significant surgery. Do you just want to explain to the audience what that surgery was and why you decided to do it? Yes, um, <laughs> it, it's called deep brain stimulation, and uh, it's. Um, it's major surgery, really. It, what it is, it involves um, the, uh, the surgeon drills. It's not, not uh, drills uh, into your skull. Um, you are asleep from some some part of your operation, but you are uh, awake for a part of it. Both is a bit scary, but um, you get small holes. And so, uh, you, you drill into your skull. Small wires or electrodes are placed in your skull. Um, they are connected to a uh, transmitter, which is a, 
played in a very small transmitter, which is plenty in your chest. The wires connect the transmitter to the electrodes, and the uh, transmitter, after the operation, the transmitter is turned on and it sends electrical pulses um, from the transmitter in your chest to the electrode. And somehow, miraculously, um, what happens is apparently, not very, not very scientific, but um, it gets your um, brain cells, which uh, many of which have uh, uh, died in a particular part of the brain, which controls movement, called the, uh, the substantia nigra. Uh, it gets these brain cells uh, firing again and, and, and um, reactivating. And um, I'm sort of fairly lucky in that um, this operation is um, not open to everybody with Parkinson's. In fact, only about one in ten people with Parkinson's are actually eligible for it. I'm sort of one of the lucky ones, really. Um, but it was essential for me because um, I was really struggling. About six months ago, I was really, really struggling. Um, my um, Parkinson's had become very unpredictable. Uh, evenings were a bit of a disaster. I was losing my independence a lot, and, and quite reliant on my wife as a carer. Um, particularly uh, in the evening. So, since I've had the operation, it's been fantastic. Um, my quality of life has gone from, say, a three out of ten to ooh, something like a seven or an eight out of ten. Um, I don't get any, any um, wearing off period, I haven't had any wearing off periods at all since the operation. And um, my quality of life is so, so much better. So, uh, I'm really grateful that I've had it, I'm really glad that I've had it. Um, lucky that I've had it. Um, so onwards and upwards, really. Oh, that's fantastic, fantastic. And your uh, your positive attitude just shines through. So uh, that's a great start to the conversation. And thank you for for sharing sharing that insight and, and your background since uh, since you were diagnosed with Parkinson's back in 2012. That's uh, that's brilliant to share with the audience. Thank you. I'd like to move on now to sport and. I'd just like to ask you how important sport has been in your life, but two bits really. How important was sport in your life before your diagnosis and how important has it been since you were diagnosed back in 2012? Well, it's always been important, actually. Um, as you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a big burn supporter. We've all got our crosses to bear, Nigel. <laughs> um, I'm obviously still uh, um, delighted after the season we've had, and I've, I've just been watching the, the new documentary Mission to Burnley, which I recommend to uh, every football fan. And uh, you see just how good a manager Vincent Company is in, in the uh, in the documentary. Um, but I've always loved sport. I've always loved football, rugby. Uh, I used to play a bit of rugby, golf, obviously. Uh, and then I've always liked uh, sports like table tennis. So sport has always been a big part of my life. But you're right, since I got diagnosed with Parkinson's. Sport had been even more, more even more important. Um, I mean, golf, for example, has been well to call it a lifesaver. It's, it's not an exaggeration. Um, you know, I always played golf before, but since I had Parkinson's, just the the the, the, um, the feeling of playing golf, the feeling of picking up a club, uh, hitting a golf ball, the number of times that I've been um, Felt lousy, felt stiff, felt rubbish, and then gone out to the driving range and hit a golf ball, 
literature got called and, and the benefits that uh, that gives to me, to my body, to my health, uh, to my social life is amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, golf for me, the health benefits, of, of course, have been fantastic. The friendship, uh, but not just that, I mean, it's also given me other things like, um, for example, working for Golf and Society. It's been extremely rewarding working with, with yourself over the, over the years. Um, going on golfing holidays, uh, two years ago, I went on a fantastic golfing holiday to Greece. Uh, for example, uh, about three years ago, I was able to go to Spain um, because the lady that um, my local golf club at Trello Forest got to the final of um, a national golf tournament. So um, I was able to go to Spain to 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 watch them. That was that was really really enjoyable trip. So there's lots of spin It's not just playing golf. It's a golf holiday. It's 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 volunteer work in golf. It, it's those kind of experiences that, um, well, that those memories will last a lifetime. So, fantastic one. No, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And the one thing I need to share with the audience now is that your competitive spirit is definitely alive and well. We've played a couple of uh, games of golf together, and uh, to say that uh, your will to win is alive and kicking is probably a little bit of an understatement. Yes, that's true. I do like to win. Um, yes, <laughs> but then again, so do you. So yeah, do you. <laughs> that's true. But I think it's I think it's an important point to mention that because obviously there's the the health benefits of of playing golf, the physical activity, the cognitive stimulation, and and everything else. But the one thing that I've noticed for you, uh, Nigel, since I've since I've, I've known you. And other people that I support living with Parkinson's is it's that reason to get out of bed on a morning. It's that sense of purpose. It's something to look forward to. And then when you get to a golf venue and you come to one of our golf sessions, it's that that opportunity to do something you possibly never even thought you would do in your life or something that you have done and thought would never do again. So that, that reason to get out of bed, that sense of purpose, and then sparking that that, that love of sport and that competitive spirit is a lot of things that I suppose go unrecorded and unseen. But I've noticed that with a lot of the golfers that I support, especially with Parkinson's, it's that reason to, to get out of bed on a morning. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's very easy when you've got something like Parkinson's to, to say, no, I just can't, I can't do this, I can't do that. Uh, and, and just sort of, you know, stay in, and, and if you stay in the house, you lose your confidence, you lose your self-esteem. Um, so it's really, really important. People need um, hope. Hope is, I mean, uh, hope is really, really important. Uh, purpose in life, having a purpose is really, really important. Um, having something to get out of bed for is really, really important. So, uh, absolutely, I totally agree with you. Um, and the health benefits of golf are are fantastic. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, I read a study the other day that, uh, that said that golf was actually better than Nordic walking for your health. Um, and uh, I think a study in Sweden said that uh, older people who play golf live, live, live five years longer in general uh, than somebody who doesn't play golf. Well, you know, an extra five years of your life, I mean, uh, who, who, who would uh, not, that's, not take that? So. Well, that's a beautiful segue into uh, the next question I was going to ask you, Nigel. I'd just like you to 
just I, mean, I get a lot of golfers who have never even been to a golf club before, let alone actually played a game. So I think about 50% of our current customers have never even been to a golf club, which it's, that's quite, that's quite uh, rewarding for me to know that we've inspired them to, to give the game a go, to enjoy yeah. the benefits that golf brings. But I just, I just like, because I mean, it's very daunting uh, golf. I mean, people have certain perceptions of the game that it's exclusive, it's elitist, it's expensive, it takes four and a half hours. You know, and all of those negative perceptions within wider society. But what I'd like is really from your perspective is just a couple of tips on 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 what you would say to people who've never experienced golf before about you know potentially you know, giving it a go. What would what would you say to them? What would your tips be? I think the first thing I'd say is it's never too late. Uh, you know, you can play golf till your well, potentially, <laughs> to, to, you know, till you're nearly uh, right to the end of your life. Uh, so you can be uh, 101 and uh, still play golf, so it's never too late. Uh, but I think there's, there's golf clubs, no, some golf clubs are changing, but there's also lots of other things out there you can, you can try indoor golf. Um, golf. There's lots of golf simulators, so you, you don't have to get wet, you don't have to get cold, you can, you can stay indoors, you can uh, use a simulator. It can be great fun. You can, uh, you know, be playing some of the world's best golfers at golf courses. Um, you can go to driving ranges. Technology now on driving ranges. You have such a top center. So you can play different courses. You can have a lot of fun with uh, running the driving range. Not just sort of hitting a ball. You can, you can uh, play on par three courses. Um, short, short courses. There are lots of, lots more short courses available. But me, you know, um, just how good the six-hole course at Running Park is. Um, it's fantastic. It's a short course, each hole about 100 yards, but it's just a really, uh, you know, it takes an hour. Uh, it's great fun. It, it, it can be played by um, eight-year-olds. It can be played by 80-year-olds. It's just a brilliant little course, and uh, we need more of those, in fact. So I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing I'd say is to people who've never played before, you know, just, just try it. It's, there's nothing like the experience of hitting a golf ball in the middle of a club and seeing it sort of go a lot further than you ever thought you could hit the ball. And, and once you've done that, you, you, you're hooked. You're hooked for life. Um, I think all golfers know that feeling of, of hitting a ball in the middle of a club and just going, oh, wow, you know, wow, that's amazing. So that's the advice. Um, just, just, just try it. Just give it a try. And I, I, I always love that sense of achievement and that big smile and that fist pump when that little ball goes in that little hole and you hear that plunk that seems to just spark every golfer to life whether they've played before or not absolutely yeah yeah it's a great feeling uh, and then it, and it's, it's a setting you know you might play golf you know all your life you might be a very experienced golfer but you know it, it, just hitting a drive 200 yards straight down the middle or holding a 20-foot putt, and it's still the same feeling. It's still, like, I still get excited about going up onto the first tee of any golf course and hitting the first ball of the day. It's, I still get excited about it. Just rocking up at a golf club um, to play 18 holes of golf, you know, I still get excited. I, I, I would never lose that, never lose. 
So the basic tip is try it. Yeah, absolutely. Give it a try. Super. I'd like I'd like to just get your insight really in terms of what steps you think the golf industry uh, yes. needs to take to make golf more accessible and welcoming to people like yourself with a Parkinson's diagnosis, but also to some of the other families we support who are living with a cognitive impairment. What would your uh, what would your um, ideas be and what the golf industry should be doing to make golf more accessible to to, to uh, audiences like yourself? I think the first thing is give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that plug. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. Here. I mean, uh, I think uh, uh, what we do is important. And uh, um, I think what we've realised is just how... Um, how clubs need to be um, fairly bespoke in terms of the uh, what, what they do for people. We, you know, we know, for example, that uh, people with dementia, uh, some people with dementia, some people with Parkinson's, are perfectly capable of playing nine holes of golf. Uh, other people might just come for a coffee and, and, and maybe do a little bit of putting, and that's all they can really manage. But um, you know, that's still just as important. So, the the ability to, I mean, there's various barriers. It's like there's psychological barriers, there's, there's physical barriers, there's social barriers, uh, barriers around um, feeling embarrassed or or, or the stigma uh, of playing golf. And I think the golf industry needs to first of all understand what these barriers are. If you don't understand what the barriers are, you can't then do anything about making golf more accessible. So I think you know, there needs to be some detailed research about what's needed to help people with um, disabilities, for example, um, what barriers are there. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the stupid things that golf clubs do in order to make their, their own clubs you know, inaccessible, inaccessible to, you know, for people with wheelchairs. My, my, my golf club would be a prime example of that, you know. Just put a, uh, the only place where you can uh, uh, go around and access the golf clubhouse with a wheelchair, and they put a big barrier there that can't go down, that can't be moved. Uh, so that would be my my um, answer, really. Is, I mean, for me, with Parkinson's, when I bring up a golf course and say, uh, I'd like to come and play your course. I've, I've got Parkinson's disease. All I'm asking is for a golf club to be inclusive and welcoming. If they just said to me, okay, that's no problem, Thornton. Uh, uh, is there anything that, you, that, you, that, that we can do to make your golf experience um, uh, an enjoyable one? Then please tell us and we'll, we'll do our best to help. That's all I'm asking. Golfers to try and understand the needs, the individual needs of, um, of people like myself. I'm not asking them to be experts on Parkinson's. That's not possible. All I ask is that they're, they're welcoming, they're, they're inclusive, um, and um, they're aware of my potential needs. So, and I'm not sure that's the best answer I've ever given, but uh, you know where, where I'm coming from when it comes to uh, just understanding the, the barriers to, the, to 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 playing golf. I mean there's still a there's still a time problem, there's still an image problem. 
there's still an exclusive exclusivity problem. Um, things are changing but slowly. And uh, I think, for example, another thing that the Orchid Group could do is have them bring taster sessions. Uh, what about open day? Have, have, have an open day, invite people along to, to an open day. Um, some enlightened clubs are becoming um, community clubs, so uh, becoming more open to the community. Why not have um, um, a dog walking evening or a bird watching or open up the golf club, uh, the golf club has to um, community groups and, and to art or music or crafts or just get people into the golf club. Once you get people into the golf club, then you start to break down the barriers. Hi. The golf forces the golf club to, to open to the community. That's the reason. And um, you've got a lot of um, members who, who who still are reluctant to open the golf club up to the community. But uh, um, that would be my uh, my answer anyway. No, that's uh, that's a brilliant insight and. As you know, Nigel, we've got 23 venues at the moment and two, th two things we always look at. We, we always do, as you know, we always do a mystery shop, but then we're very much looking for the, the right welcome, the right feel from the club. And that comes from the people at the club. And then in addition to that, we're looking at the, the facilities and the accessibility, the opportunities available at that particular venue. And I'll be honest with you, I've walked away from certain venues where I can just see that either there's not a great people fit or there's not a great infrastructure fit in terms of having the right facilities available for the, the families that we work with to come in and enjoy a great golfing experience uh, at, the, at the local golf club. And I always say, when I do a, a mystery shop or my team do a mystery shop is walk it through the eyes of one of your customers, whether that be someone in a wheelchair, whether that be someone with a cognitive impairment and just try and put yourself in their shoes when you're doing your mystery shop. And I think that's been really, really insightful for my team to do because they think differently about how they assess the suitability of a venue. And then it may means that we're making the right choice early on in terms of creating a collaboration and a partnership with a venue that we know will have the potential to become the heart of the community, which is what we're what we're trying to do really. So I think that putting yourself in the shoes and walking it, walking it uh, with the eyes of your customers, uh, is is really important. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we've learned over, over the years. Yeah. Yeah, the longer we've been doing this, the, the more that we've realised that uh, uh, you've got to have the right attitude. You know, inclusion, inclusion is not just about a ramp, it's not just about um, a disabled toilet, it's about attitude. It's about um, having the, uh, the, the, the right attitude. And uh, you know, managers of golf clubs have to be uh, service orientated, they have to be open to newcomers, they have to be uh, open-minded, they have to be uh, flexible, they have to be welcoming. You know, a smile goes a long way. Uh, yeah, to totally agree. And I'm going to finish because this has been a fascinating talk and sincere thanks for giving us such a great insight into life with Parkinson's and golf with Parkinson's and your views on 
how we get more people with a similar diagnosis giving golf a go and then some thoughts on what the industry can do to make golf more accessible to people living with Parkinson's. But I'd like to finish with a real, real high. And we've got a bit of an exclusive for the audience. I'm proud to announce that Nigel has been selected to represent his country at golf. So I can't tell you how proud I am of you, Nigel, but do you just want to explain to the audience exactly how you're going to be representing your country at the highest level? Uh, yes, yes. Um, but basically, um, I'm going to be playing for Team England against um, Team Wales, against Team Ireland, against Team Scotland um, in a Four Nations tournament um, at the iconic uh, Belfry course, uh, the Brabazon course that uh, Richard, Richard uh, Gerardi was played all those years ago in October. Um, it's a fantastic event. It's, um, it's a raise money for Sport Parkinson, which are a great organisation who um, uh, help people with Parkinson's um, stay active in the community. Uh, and uh, yes, I've been excited to play. So I'm going to be playing the Brabazon, which I'm really looking forward to, playing the iconic tennis hole. Uh, I'll, I'll be able to see the plaque, it's the, the famous Stevariano Ballesteros flat where he uh, um, took a driver and drove uh, uh, onto the green over 300, over 300 yards. Of course, players like that do that, do that all the time now, but uh, <laughs> in Savage Day it was uh, uh, virtually unheard of. So, yes, I'm really looking forward to it. Really honoured and really proud to be selected to, uh, to represent my country. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think it's a perfect way to finish because ultimately it's just another bit of proof that it's never too late to live a new dream or to achieve a new thing that you never thought you would do in life. And I suppose when you were a young kid, you wanted to be the best you could at football at cricket and all the other sports that, that you played and hopefully go on and represent either your, your club, your county, your country. But to know that you're going to be representing your country in your in your sixties, I, I just think that that's perfect proof that it's never ever too late to to live a new sporting dream. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Anthony, for those kind words. Uh, and I hope I'm I hope I'm not going to be a hindrance, but I have uh, offered audience uh, to caddy for Nigel at the event, so hopefully I can be the man on his back to well, secure a victory for Team England. So on, on that note, Nigel, thanks so much for your time. It's been really fascinating uh, chatting to you. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work and good luck at the good luck at the Belfry. Thanks very much, and uh, thanks for inviting me.